Welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. But let's read again Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse number 1. We'll read 1 through 8, and then we'll skip down to the last part uh, of the passage as well, like we did. It says, What then will we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, has found? And when we see Abraham, our forefather, we know that he's really, really getting into the ears of the Jewish believers at this time. But what we have to understand, like we looked at last Sunday, if you are a Christian Gentile living in 2021 in America, Abraham is your spiritual forefather as well. It is Abraham's faith stepping out to, to take the covenant to become that, become that great nation that the whole world will be blessed through. He is our spiritual forefather as well. If Abraham was justified by works, then he has something to, bow, to boast about, but he doesn't have anything to boast about before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. All the way back in the book of Genesis, we see that passage. We see that, that notation about Abraham's character. He believed God and it was credited to him. It was paid in advance to him for righteousness. Now to the one who works, pay is not accredited as a gift, but as something that has been owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited for righteousness. Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of the person to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and those whose sins are covered. And hopefully that, hopefully you can look at that and say, that is me. My lawless acts have been forgiven. My lawless acts, my sins have been covered. Hopefully you've placed faith in Christ and called upon him to be, to be your savior. And then he says, blessed is the person that the Lord will never charge with sin. Kind of looking forward to one day when we stand before God and God will say, why should I let you into heaven? And you got all these sins that could be brought against you in a holy courtroom. But because of Jesus Christ, your blood covers that out and cancels that out. And you will never be charged with that sin. So we're going to cover that whole chapter. But look again, if you would, drop down to verse number 22. It says, therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, it was credited to him was not written for Abraham alone, but also for all of us. How does what God did with Abraham and with David that we looked at last, last Sunday, how does that apply to us? Well, it applies in the same way. Because all of us are a little bit of Abraham. If we are believers in Christ, we're a little bit of Abraham. We've stepped out in faith, and we've let it all ride on Jesus. We're not letting it ride on our works. We're not letting it ride on all the things that we can do. We're not letting it ride on some other icon or some other religious figure or some other idea. We're letting it all ride on Christ. And it's been credited to us for righteousness. But all of us are a little bit of David too. Remember we talked about with David? What did David do? David was messed up, right? He sinned with Bathsheba. He was prideful. He census the people. He did all of those things. And what God said was, I am going to save you in spite of your bad works. Not only are there not enough good works to do, there's enough bad works that we've done to condemn us for, for a couple of eternities. But in spite of your bad works, in spite of your sin, I will cover you. I will save you. Because why? Because God wants to save us. Not because we deserve it, but because he loves us, because he cares for us, because he chose to redeem us. And then it says, it will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning that you would guide us through this time that we have in your word. 
I pray, Lord God, as your minister, as your messenger today, that I would not say anything that would hinder your word or that would corrupt your word today. Your word is holy. Your word is like a knife that just cuts where it needs to go to remove what needs to be removed and to insert what needs to be inserted. And I pray this morning that we would present ourselves, just like we sang a minute ago, just as vessels. Broken vessels as we are, piece us together. Lord, help, help us to understand your word this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Last week I opened by, by sharing that story about the Chilean miners who were trapped for, for almost 60 days. And almost 60 days, they were fed this, they were fed everything that they needed to live through this little tube that they were able to drill down to them. And because of that tube, Mario Sepulveda, one of those miners said, because of that tube, we never lost faith that our ultimate rescue would come. And we kind of talked about the fact that as we've been looking at what the Apostle Paul has been saying about the gospel through the book of Romans, that is what salvation that we cling to today while we live in this present darkness, while we live in this world that, let's face it, it's broken all right? It's, it's messed up. Sin still exists. And sometimes it looks like sin is winning, right? It looks like the darkness is prevailing. But as children of God, we are children of the light. And we hold on to this hope that our ultimate redemption is coming. But not only is our ultimate redemption coming, our ultimate redemption has already been found as we've placed faith in Jesus Christ. That we're just as sure for eternity and heaven today as if we've, as if we've already been there for 10, for 10 generations, because that's how the, the grace of God and that's how the work of God works. Salvation or the gospel of Jesus Christ is like that tube that gives us hope. We are a people of hope. We are here today or you're watching today or you're worshiping today because you have hope in Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're watching or you're here today because you don't have hope and you're hoping to find it somewhere. Well, can I say this? Look no further. Don't look any, I'm not saying look no further than the man standing behind the pulpit or the person sitting in the pew next to you. I'm saying look no further than Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's the one who has saved us and that's why we're here. We're not here to boast in what we've done. We're here to boast in what Christ has already done and will do in each one of us, is doing in us, and will one day do in us when he takes us to heaven. That's the hope we live in. That's the tube that, and, and every day God just delivers us that new mercy every day to kind of keep us going. And as we looked at, and the key verse has been what? Romans chapter one, verses what? Help me out. Help me out. Verses 16 and 17. The key verse has been that, right? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God, right? What's the power lead us to? Unto salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And just as it is written, help me out church, the just shall live by faith. The gospel, the gospel screams at us, trust in Jesus. And then after we trust in Jesus, he doesn't just say, all right, now put Jesus away until you get to heaven and need to pull him out like some sort of card that you present to get in the door. Well, that sounds interesting today, doesn't it? Um, but that's not what salvation is. Salvation is beginning a daily re uh, relationship with Christ that never ends. A daily leaning upon him, just like those miners down in the tube, that I need your grace, I need your mercy, I need your presence, I need your blessings, I need your word, I need you to sustain me today. And for so long and, for, and too much, too many people today are just looking at Christ as my ticket to heaven rather than the friend that sticks closer than a brother. We've cheapened what Jesus really is by just saying, all I really want from you, Jesus, is heaven. I want everything that this world has to offer. I want everything that I can enjoy in life. But then I also want heaven when I get, 
when I die. That's not, what the, that's not the message of the gospel. The gospel is Jesus is more beautiful than anything I can pursue here on earth. Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. He is my treasure. He is the priceless pearl. He is the rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley. He is more than anything I could have here today. He is my only hope. He is my everything. I love that the miner said we never lost faith that it would come because we had this clinging hope that we could cling to. Jesus is that one that we cling to. And in clinging to him, we don't just look for hope tomorrow. We find sustenance for today as well. We keep coming back to that verse in, in, in Romans chapter 1 because he says for us not to be ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God. The gospel is not something to be ashamed of. No matter how many people may try to make fun of it, no matter how many times people may try to, try to delineate the message or silence the message, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. If you will believe in him, if you will place your faith and trust in him, he will save you. And you can live by that faith. So last Sunday, and I don't want to re-preach the message. Last Sunday, we, look at, we looked at the first two things that as we live by faith, what does it actually look like to live by faith? What, are, what does that look like? What am I supposed to put my faith in daily? I've put my faith eternally in Jesus Christ, but what am I supposed to put my faith in? Why is he worthy of my faith? Well, first of all, he is worthy of my faith because of the work that he has done. I every day put my faith in the work that has already been done by God. The work that was done by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. The work that was done by God for sacrificing his son. All the work has been done. We've been looking at for, for months now how salvation comes by grace through faith alone and it's not by the works that we can do. Too many times what we do is we, we say, hey, I need Jesus Christ for heaven, but if I'm going to get there... If I'm going to get there, I'm going to have to make sure that I do this, 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 and follow this checklist. Salvation comes through Jesus Christ and his saving power alone, not mine. All my works, all my good stuff, the Bible says is like filthy rags. All the good things that I can do, it just doesn't add up to what God is worthy of. The beautiful worship that we had this morning and, and the folks that came in and, and worked and practiced this morning and got ready and everything and led us in worship today, all of those works, and, and I, we love them and we're thankful for them, but the Bible says all of that stuff is just like filthy rags. It doesn't measure up to the glory of Jesus Christ, no matter how good we may be. As, as wonderful as I may deliver this message, don't say amen there, I'm just saying, but all the work in preparing, all that stuff, all that work is just like filthy rags if Jesus is not the key. Jesus must be the key to everything. It says, if Abraham was justified by works in our text, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. What that means is, all the things that you can boast about, when you stand before God, you're going to realize, I got nothing to say. I don't really think there's going to be people in heaven trying to argue with God. Because when you stand before the, the immense glory of God, there's nothing that you're going to be able to say. Everything you thought was amazing, everything that you thought about yourself that was awesome, it's just going to melt away in the light of the glory of God. I don't think there's anything that we're going to be able to present and say, you know, I did this, so let me in. I think all that goes away when we stand before the throne of, of God. Abraham was saved by his faith instead of works we looked at. David was saved by faith in spite of all the bad things that he did. We're not going to revisit what he did, but I love what it says. It says that blessed is the person whose sins are covered and who will not be charged before God. While none of us have an excuse, while none of us have a defense before God, the gospel gives us a clear pardon before God because of the righteousness of Jesus, not because of us, but because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
So that's what we saw last week. And then we also saw the fact that we should have faith in the hopeful promise of God. We have faith in the work of God and all the work that Jesus did on the cross for us and all the work that he did by raising from the dead. But then we also have faith in the promise of God. What is the promise of God? The promise of God is that he loves us. The promise of God is that he will be our heavenly father. The promise of God is that he will not leave us or forsake us, that he will never abandon us. The promise of God is that he will take us to heaven, that we can have eternity with him. The promise of God is that he is with us every single step of the way. I could go on and on and on and on with the promises of God. There are great and precious promises within that word. And you can take every one of them to the bank. As the just live by faith, we must remind ourselves of the promises of God. So if I were to go around the room and we were to, we were to kind of just say, okay, let's just see how long we can keep naming out promises that God has given us from the word of God. How long do you think we could go before we exhausted all of them? I, get, I can ensure you that we would probably run out of remembering his promises before the promises would actually run out. God's promises are great, they are precious to us, and they are our sustaining power in this world as we live. Until we see him one day and our faith, as the word of God says, becomes sight, those promises are what we hold on to. We walk, the Bible says, by faith and not by sight. I'm thankful that we don't walk by sight, right? Because if we walk by sight, it wouldn't look too good right now. We'd have a reason to walk around with our head down being like, man, I just don't know, man. If God was really God, I mean, there wouldn't be cancer. If God was really God, there wouldn't be COVID. There wouldn't be hunger. There wouldn't be poverty. There wouldn't be, there wouldn't be abuse. There wouldn't be racism. There wouldn't be, there wouldn't be all of these things. But you've got to remember what we've done here. We've messed everything up because we took our eyes off God. And this is what we've got all the way back in Romans, all the way back in Romans chapter two. That's what we started learning, right? In the midst of all of that, in the midst of all the brokenness that we brought, there's the promises of God that he will restore and that he is still working in the midst of all of it. So as we walk by faith and as we walk not by sight, keep your eyes, keep your ears tuned to the promises of God that he's given us. That he's credited righteousness to us. Remember we saw that example of Abraham, right? Abraham, a wealthy man. Great, I mean, he was, he was just living his best life over in Ur of the Chaldees. And then God shows up and says, hey, Abraham, I want you to leave all you've got here. And I want you to go over here to this land that I'm going to promise you. It's going to be way better than what you've got. But probably for the rest of your life, you're going to be living in tents. And Abraham's like, okay, that sounds good. And he steps out and he doesn't even know where he's going. Remember what Hebrew said? Hebrew said he left Ur not knowing where he was going. All he knew is who he was following. And isn't that the beautiful picture of the gospel? Jesus beckons us to come to him and say, trust me for your eternity. Trust me for your present. You may not know where I'm going to take you, but I'm going to be with you everywhere you go. And that's the place you need to be. And that's what Abraham did. And the Bible says that it was credited. His faith was credited to him for righteousness. Abraham is revered as being the father of the, of the Hebrew nation, as being the father of the gospel, really. He is the forerunner of all things because he made a covenant with God and he placed faith in God and he he did what God said and now we have Jesus. And now I'm standing thousands of years later along with other preachers around the world sharing the gospel message. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that there was a man named Abram in Ur who just stepped out, put a for sale sign in his yard and says, I'm going to trust God. That's the heritage of our faith. 
The heritage of Christianity goes way back where people just trusted God and took him at his word. Why is it so hard for us to continue to take God at his word? Have you ever thought about this? If you're saved, you've placed your eternity in the hands of God. But why do we struggle with placing our present troubles in his hand? God, I've trusted you for eternity. I've trusted you for heaven. I've trusted you with what's unknown beyond there. But man, I don't know if I can trust you to be faithful in my finances. I don't know if I can trust you to be faithful in my marriage. I don't know if I can trust you to be faithful when it comes to my kids. I just don't know. This is why Jesus reminded the disciples, right? He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about those things because if you just look around you, you're going to find examples of God's provision all around you. You ever seen a bird panhandling? No, God provides for them. You ever seen a flower like stressed out because they don't know if they're going to have pretty petals when it comes time to open? No, they bloom when God tells them to. Jesus says, if I'm covering the, the birds of the field and I'm covering, or if I'm covering the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, don't you think I got you, the chief of my creation? Don't you think I've got you? And he reminds us as well that I've never seen the righteous begging bread. The righteous must live by faith and that means trusting in the promises that God has given us. God has promised us eternity. Now we move into this morning number three. We must have faith in the sustaining power of God. The sustaining power of God. Remember what Romans 1 says. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the what? It is the power of God unto salvation. God has power, right? Can we agree with that? All right. The word amen means I agree. So God has power, right? God is powerful. There is nothing that is more powerful than God. He is power personified. Power is God, all right? God has power. Living by faith requires that we trust that God is strong enough to make good on the promises that he's given us. When we look through the word of God and we find these great and precious promises, we trust the promises because we know the promiser. We know the one who has made the promise is going to, is going to do that. Now, if I, today, were to look at you and you had a $4 million bet, all right, and I'm, and I'm making about four, and I'm making about, you know, 20K a year or something like that. That's not my salary, but I'm just saying, if I'm making 20K a year and I look at you and I say, I'm telling you right now, I give you my word next week, I'm going to give you all the money you need to cover your debt. You're going to look at me and be like, man, I really appreciate the thought, but you know, I can't back that up, right? We look at God and he has given us all these great and precious promises. Not only does he give us these great promises, but he has the power to back those promises up. That's what our faith in God tells him as well. We've got to place faith in God that he can come through with what he has to say. See, God's promises are based on his power to deliver. To deliver. So if you don't know the, 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 the background of Abraham's story, this is what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at all of Abraham's story and just see how ridiculous Abraham could have thought God was when he came to him and started to make this covenant with him, okay? So look at Romans chapter 4. Look at verse number 16. It says, This is why the promise that God has given us is by faith, so that it may be according to the grace of God to guarantee to all the descendants, not only to the one who is of the law, but also the one who is of Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Now, God comes to Abraham and he says, I have made you the father of many nations. 
Guess when he comes and he says that to him? When he's in his 90s. And Abraham hasn't had a kid with Sarah yet. And he says, I have made you the father of many nations. And he's like, no, you haven't. I don't have a kid. Sarah and I have tried and tried and tried and tried, and we never could conceive. We've just, so one of us has got a problem. It's just not going to happen. And he says this, I've made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, the one who gives life to the dead and calls things into existence that do not exist. He believed, hoping against hope, so that he became the father of many nations according to what has been spoken. So will your descendants be. So here we see that the, the promise is spelled out clearly. He says, I've made you the father of many nations. Now, we usually speak our promises in the future tense, right? If I make a promise, I'm saying, I'm going to do this for you. I will. So we would expect God to say, I will make you the father of many nations. But here God uses the present and completed tense. He says, I have made you the father of many nations. Now, that statement presents Abraham with a huge test. Because he's looking at God, and God has said, I've made you the father of many nations. But the problem is, all the way back in Genesis 15 and 17, when you see this covenant being made, Abraham hasn't become a father yet. Well, he had one, but it was because he'd grown impatient, and he hadn't had a son with Sarah yet, which is what God promised would happen with the covenant. He says, you will have a child. See, to have a, 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 be the father of many nations through Ishmael would have messed everything up because it wasn't through his wife. And so he's looking at it and he's thinking, man, uh, the covenant is not, is not necessarily sounding like it's going to happen, God. But the thing about this promise here is that Abraham and Sarah are old. And we're not talking like, you know, the clock is ticking kind of old. We're talking about the clock stopped a long time ago and they, they, they gave it to goodwill. Okay, that's, that's kind of where we're at with, with where Abraham and Sarah, they're in their 90s at this point. But what does the next text say about Abraham? Look at our text. Says God says, I've made you the father of many nations. And the Bible says that Abraham believed God. He believed God. How many of you, if in your prayer time, you're up in your 90s, God said, hey, you're going to have a baby. Be like, what did I eat before I started my prayer time? I'm not drinking this brand of coffee anymore with my, you know, or anything. And here's what it says. He believed God to be the one who gives life to the dead and the one who calls into existence things that do not exist. Did you catch the power of God right there? God is powerful to bring things from the dead and call things into existence, things that didn't even exist. Because Abraham has come to know God as the God who spoke things into existence. You are here. I am here. Not just because our parents loved one another. You and I are here because God wanted you to be here. You and I are here because God spoke you and me into existence. Abraham believed the power of God. Being 90 years old didn't mean a thing to Abraham at this point. He believed God because he knew God to be the one who calls things into existence that doesn't exist. And so it says, he believed, hoping against hope. He trusted in the power of God to do the impossible. And then what we see this in verse number 19. Not only do we see that he believed, hoping against hope, but look what it says here. He did not weaken in faith. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead since he was about 100 years old. And also the deadness of Sarah's womb. Underline, circle that passage, he did not weaken in faith because what this means is he didn't hedge his bets. 
When God says, I'm, I've made you the father of many nations, he trusted God. He didn't look, he did, that means he didn't go out looking for ways to help God. All right? Which, by the way, that old phrase, you know, God helps those who help themselves, that's not in the Bible. It's not there. He believed trusting God. He didn't hedge his bets. He didn't look for ways that he could help God along because there was absolutely nothing that Abraham and Sarah could do but lay it all on God that he was going to do what he said he could do. So in essence, here's what he says. He's like, <laughs> he goes home and he tells, he, tells, uh, he tells Sarah, he's like, hey, uh, Sarah, uh, you're going to have a baby. And she's like laughing like crazy. Like he's like, you're funnier than you've ever been, Abraham. That's hilarious. And he, uh, he basically says, look, God knows we're old. All right. But he's going to do what he said. God knows that we're old, but he's going to do what he said. For you, it may not be I'm old. For you, it may be God knows I can't. God knows the odds are stacked against me. But if God's promised it, he's going to do what he said. It's trusting in the power of God. God is a man of his word because he has the power to fulfill his word. The power of God can also stand any test of faith that we have. Now, I don't want to build Abraham up to be like some super giant because the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of the word of God is that he gives us just ordinary, everyday people like us to do extraordinary, amazing things because it teaches us that God doesn't have to have the cream of the crop. God just has to have somebody that's willing. See, Abraham, <laughs> Abraham, you might just think, okay, he believed God and he did all this. He did some wrestling. There were some times through the, through the journey after Abraham stepped out in faith that he wasn't so faithful. It doesn't mean that Abraham had faith all the time. It doesn't mean that he didn't kind of go up and down like a roller coaster with him, all right? Abraham wasn't perfect. There were some times when he didn't act in faith and he did try to hedge his bets and he learned a very valuable lesson to it. About 20 years before this moment that we're looking at today, after Abraham and Sarah had packed up, they put the for sale sign uh, there at, on Ur Drive and they left going to the land that they didn't know of. They came into some hostile territory and they'd come into a place um, <clears throat> and uh, the king of that land looked at Sarah and said, I want her as my wife. And so Abraham says, you know, um, uh, that's, that's okay. Um, that's, that's not my wife. That's my sister. Now here's where we have to stop for a minute. Did you catch the fact that I said they were 70 years old? How hot must Sarah be? That's all I'm saying. She's 70 and the king is wanting to like, is wanting to marry her. Okay. So, I mean, Abraham didn't do too bad when he married Sarah. Okay. But first of all, he didn't trust God. He said, no, that's not my wife. That's my sister. And so it gets found out like right before, right before the wedding happens and everything. And the king is like, Abraham, are you crazy? I was about to, t I was about to take your wife. That, that would have been terrible. I mean, at least this guy, had, this guy had more moral scruples than Abraham did at this point. Why? Because Abraham is like, man, we're going to mess this whole thing up. I'm going to get killed before we even get where we're going, where God wanted us to go. So I'm going to help God along here. We're going to just play. We're going to play the part for a little while, Sarah, and God will figure something out. God protected them by giving, by giving that king a little bit of a moral compass. And then there was the time when he impregnated Hagar because they were getting impatient waiting for the covenant to take effect. And so Sarah, who says, you know, I, I can't provide you a child. I want, you to, I want you to have a baby with my handmaiden, Hagar. And that's where we get Ishmael from. All kinds of other problems stem from that relationship that we don't have time to go into here. So the question is, if Abraham has done all these crazy things... Why do we revere him for his faith? 
Did Abraham truly have faith that could be credited to him for righteousness? Yes, he did. Because when God said step, he stepped. That doesn't mean that along our journey of faith, we're not going to have moments where we hit a valley or where we hit a point where we're like, okay, God, where did you bring me? It doesn't mean that. What it means is that we trust God will bring us to the conclusion, to the end. And it speaks to the power of God that even in the midst of our lack of faith, God carries us through to the point where our faith is to take us. God is good. He's powerful that when we're too weak, God is strong enough to carry us through those things. That when we give up on God, he doesn't give up on us. God is, or Abraham is revered for his faith in scripture here because it wasn't the power of Abraham's faith that gets the credit for saving him. It's the power of God who saved him that he placed his faith in. If you go back and you see that, that Abraham placed his faith in God or Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness, we don't want to put the emphasis on Abraham's ability to have faith. We put the emphasis on God's ability to deliver on his promise. That's what we see here. Every one of us are going to struggle with faith. Every one of us are going to have moments where we think, man, I don't know if God knows what he's doing. You may be sitting at home right now and you're battling something going on. You may be thinking, I don't know if God is really who he says he is. This is where the rubber meets the road. Do you trust God? If you trust God, trust him that he is even able to carry you through your weak moments. Our weakness doesn't make God any weaker. It's in our weakness that he is made strong. See, we're often tempted to hedge our bets, aren't we? Just like Abraham. The power of God can save you and sustain you through any test. And all he asks for is our trust and our faith to live by faith, like Paul says. It says in verse number 20, he did not waver in unbelief. Again, we see this. He did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but was strengthened in his faith. And he gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to do. He may not have known what God was doing at a specific time, but he trusted God that he was still able to do what he said, that the end result would be what God had promised. The key to Abraham's faith wasn't Abraham. He didn't have some special sauce when it came to his faith that we don't have. The key to Abraham's faith was a God who is faithful. And that's the key to our faith. That's the key to the just, you the just living by faith. The key to the just, you living by faith is not you living by faith. It's that God is faithful and will carry you as you live. The key to our faith and mine is God's who is faithful and his son who saves. So we must have faith in the promise of God, but then we also have faith, lastly, in the living son of God. Faith in the living son of God. Look at verse number 22. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. Now, it's credited to him for righteousness was not written for Abraham alone. Circle this, but also for us. We have that righteousness credited to us. The moment we get saved, are we zapped to heaven? Do we get to see the promised land the moment that we get saved? No, just like Abraham didn't. The moment that he said, okay, God, I'm going to do this. He, did, he wasn't just teleported over to the promised land and had a house. No, he lived in tents and he did all of these things, waited on God to do what he would say. He didn't have a mighty nation come up all of a sudden. No, it was a struggle. But through it, Abraham continued to trust but it will also be credited to us. It will be credited to us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. He says, it's not written for Abraham alone, but also for us. Come on, this whole trip back in time through the Old Testament brings us full circle here. Brings us full circle. That all of this that we looked at with Abraham applies to us today. 
And the question is, have you had your account credited like Abraham has? Remember we talked about credit last week, right? Biblical credit is different from our credit today. See, I got a credit card in my pocket that is basically saying, I promise against future earnings to pay for what I'm getting ready to borrow while American Express covers the fee for me. That's not biblical credit. Biblical credit is God is going to give me what I don't deserve and he has his son who has paid the bill for me. It's not a credit card, it's a gift card. It was credited. Have you had your account credited with God's righteousness? Because you don't have it on your own and you will not, in the future, you will not have it either. Don't stop living life like you're borrowing against something you're going to finally get right one day. Jesus got it right on the cross. Put your faith in him now. See, he was delivered up for our trespasses, the Bible says, and he was raised for our justification. Jesus, God's son, was given by God for our sins. What I find interesting, and we're going to close out with this story. What I find interesting is that both the covenant that God made with Abraham and the covenant of the gospel all center around a child. The covenant that God made with Abraham centered around his promise that Abraham and Sarah would be given a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac was finally born when Abraham was 99 and Sarah was 90. Okay? Now, uh, clearly from what we saw from 20 years ago, Sarah was still holding up pretty, pretty well, right? But to have a child in, in her 90s, that's crazy. So don't think for a minute that Isaac wasn't the golden child, right? <laughs> you, have, you, you know, how many of you have, have, you have more than one child? I got, we got more than one child. Let's be honest. The baby, there's just something special about the baby. Not that they're better. They're just different, right? And, and, and it, Isaac is the baby of babies, man. I mean, they waited for 99. Not only is he the child of promise that God said, you know, everything is riding on Isaac, right? The whole covenant is riding on Isaac at this point. And what does God say? Isaac starts to get a little bit older. He's 10, 11, 12 years old. And God says, God shows up to Abraham and he says, hey, Abraham, how's things going? He's like, man, things are going great. This is, I'm, I'm so glad that we stepped out and I made this deal with you. And God, you're so good. And he said, I, I'm glad you say that because I need you to do something with Isaac. And he's like, what do you need me to do? He's like, what are you going to do? Is it time for the great nation and, and all that stuff? He said, no, here's what I need you to do. I need you to take him up to the top of that mountain and I need you to sacrifice him to me. And he's like, what? This, this, this ain't going the way the covenant. God, this is not the way the father of many nations is supposed to, this isn't the way that this is supposed to go. How are the many nations supposed to come if Isaac is dead and he doesn't have any kids? How's that supposed to happen, God? And God's like, I need you to go up to the top of the mountain. I need you to sacrifice, my son, sacrifice your son to me. And the Bible says back in the Old Testament that Abraham, we don't know how long he wrestled with it. We don't know how long he thought, man, is this nuts? Is this crazy? We don't know it all. But we do see a scene in the scripture where he goes out and he tells his son, he says, son, I need you to come with me. We need to go make a sacrifice to God. And Isaac's like, okay, let's go. And they pack up the donkey or the mule or whatever it is and they've got everything that they need and they're going up and they climb up the mountain and you can picture it as he's going. You know, he's climbing up and he's looking back at his son. He's probably fighting off tears. He's probably like looking up into heaven going, what in the world is happening? Why are you doing this? And they get up to the top of the mountain. They build the altar. Halfway up the hill, Isaac even stops. He says, hey, dad, we got everything we need. We got the tools. We got the sticks. We got everything for the altar. He says, but we don't have the sacrifice. Where's where, where, is, where is what we're going to sacrifice? And Abraham looks back at him and he says, God will provide. And it's at that moment we think that we see a shift in Abraham's faith that God is going to provide. 
I've heard some people say that Abraham never expected that he would have to do it, that he had full faith that God would never have to. I don't know. All I know is that Abraham had full faith in God, that God knew what he was doing. So they get up to the top of the mountain, they build the altar and everything, and Abraham, Isaac looks at Abraham and says, all right, man, where's the sacrifice? And he says, son, you're the sacrifice. Now, I don't know what happens with Isaac, and I don't know how, it, I've always pictured it in my mind that Isaac just climbs up on the altar and says, okay, dad, I trust you. I don't know if that's how it happened. I'm not sure, but because it looks towards Jesus as the guy who just, as Jesus being the one who went without fighting to the cross, I think that's what happened. Perfectly obedient son. And as Abraham the father takes his knife and is about to plunge it into his son, God stops him. He hears a voice from heaven saying, stop, do not do that. And they look over, and I'm sure Isaac at that moment is thinking, whoa, thank God. And Abraham's thinking, whoa, thank God. And they look over, and in the thicket they hear this ram that is bleeding over there that's caught over in the bushes. And God provided the sacrifice and they sacrificed that ram. And all the way home, they're glorifying God. And all the way home, Abraham is looking at Isaac saying, Isaac, don't tell your mama about this. Whatever, whatever you want when we get home, son, it's yours. Just don't tell your mama about this, all right? But that story exists. And that reminder exists here within our text to remind us and to foreshadow what God would do. At the beginning of the covenant, God already lays out what's going to take place for the covenant to be, to, to be fulfilled. Because later on, about, about 6,000 years after this moment in Jerusalem, there was a different kind of sun that was taken up to the top of a hill. And there was a different kind of altar that was put up in the shape of a cross. Only this time, there wasn't a substitute. He was the substitute. Jesus went to the cross. He laid out on the altar of the cross. And he had nails driven into his hands and into his feet. He had a crown of thorn placed upon his head. On his head, there were people that were down at the foot of the cross that, if they had wanted, that if they had, if they could, they would have ripped him down and gotten him out of there. But they just couldn't. There was all the forces of the world and sin, and even the forces of God were working against that because this had to take place. And as Jesus died on the cross, he became that one spotless lamb, that lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. What Isaac could not provide being an earthly son, Jesus provided being the son of God, God incarnate, to provide us eternal salvation. This is the covenant that began all the way back with Abraham, and now we see it in fruition with Jesus Christ upon the cross, and then he rose from the dead. Because Isaac, if he had died on the altar that day, he wasn't coming back alive. But Jesus, when he died on that cross, he came back from the dead to provide us eternal life. And provide us victory over that. And here's what we need to understand. Just as Abraham lived by faith that God knew what he was doing. That he was powerful enough to be faithful to the promise that he had made. We must have faith in the living son of God. Abraham's long gone. He's up in heaven. One day we may see him. But Jesus is still here. Yes, he's in heaven at the right hand of the Father, but God lives within us as the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not dead. He is alive to place our faith and trust in him. He is the covenant. And the gospel is the promise. The gospel is that test of faith where you put your faith in Jesus. And you can trust him every day. It's not just for heaven. You can trust him for the here and the now, right now. So the question this morning as we, as we end, 
Remember that story that I opened up last week and I kind of told you about this morning, about the Chilean miners I told you at the beginning? It could be that today you find yourself in some similar circumstance where you feel like everything has crashed down around you and all you see around you is darkness and maybe even doubt. Maybe you've been in church your whole life and there's a lot of this going on right now because things look bleak. There's a lot of people today saying, you know what, I grew up in church my whole life and I, I'm just struggling with questions. I'm struggling with doubts. I just don't know. What I'm asking you is, have you trusted in a church or have you trusted in a Savior? There's a huge difference. Abraham could have trusted in the promise, but instead of trusting in the promise, he trusts the promise giver. Are you trusting in Jesus, the promise giver, the promise keeper, the one who is the power of the promise as well? Maybe you find yourself just in darkness there, but you need something. You just need some ray of light, something to give you hope. That is the gospel of Christ. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that he will give us eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And not only does he give us eternal life, but he gives us a hope and a future, as Jeremiah says. And he gives us a friend that sticks closer than any brother in Jesus Christ. He gives us the comforter that Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. He gives us his word full of promises. He gives us prayer and access to the throne of God, which we'll look at in chapter 5. He gives us so many things. So many tubes right there to continue to enhance our faith as we live by faith. So my question is, number one for you, have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Have you placed your faith in Christ? And if you have, are you living by that faith every day? Are you living by that faith every day? Because I'm telling you, there's going to be times when you're like, man, I don't know if this is all going to work out. Trust the one who already knows what tomorrow brings. So as we bow our heads this morning and as we close our eyes, I ask you this morning, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, come to him today. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and all of us have come short of the glory of God. But Jesus gave us and demonstrated his love by dying on the cross. He died for us so that we could have eternal life. If you don't know him, come today. If you know him, are you hedging your bets of faith? Are you trying to help God out? Are you trying to do things and step ahead of God and all those things? Look, it's all just wasting your time, spinning your wheels and sowing Honestly, sowing some regret along the way. Just stop and trust Him. Stop and trust Him. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll have Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section. Or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.